I love the beautiful simplicity of this call of Matthew in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Jesus is just so clear and so simple. He just says, follow me. And that is the invitation. In fact, that is the call. Better yet, that is the command that Jesus makes to each and every one of us. He is calling us to follow him, to become like him. In fact, as we're doing this this small series on following Jesus, what he's calling us to do is to believe in him, not only believe in who he is, but to believe that he is with us, that he is the life source that is driving us, that will strengthen and equip us to accomplish all that he calls us to do. He calls us to belong to him, which is what we're going to focus in on today. And it's a beautiful, beautiful call. It's packed with all kinds of meaning that, um, that we need to, to hear and be reassured of. He's calling us to become like him. Not just to know about him, not just to do certain things, but to be transformed, to become like Jesus. That's what it really means to follow him, ultimately. And then the final B that we're using in this series is that we're to beautify, and it's not the greatest word because it really doesn't incorporate all that it means. It means that we're to live for his glory. We're to bring his beauty, his presence into everything that we do. That's what he calls us to do. And in essence, what he's saying is, this is what the church is. When you follow me, when you believe in me, when you belong to me, when you become like me and you begin to beautify the lives of others around me with who I am, then you're being my presence here on this earth. You are being the church. But I want you to notice the focus that Jesus has here in this passage is very important because it's one that quite honestly we have a tendency as we grow in spiritual maturity um, to lose sight of. The focus of Jesus is on the lost. What did he say here at the end of this? In verse 13, he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, which is a quote out of Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The focus of Jesus' work was reaching those who did not yet know him so that they too may follow him, believe in him, belong to him, become like him, and in turn, beautify in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others as well. What is most dangerous to the church is that when we begin to to grow and turn inward, Whenever that happens across, I've seen this, history proves this, 30 years of ministry have proved this, whenever a church begins to turn inward, it will begin to die because we lose sight of what God called us to do. So today is a, is a challenge for us, starting with myself, to ask the Lord to open our eyes up again to see his purpose and his mission. And, and really, this is kind of part two of a message I preached a couple of weeks ago. And, um, and I hope to, to 
that the, the Lord will speak to our hearts and, and stir and change me along with all of you. The focus that Jesus makes, the focus of his call is towards those who do not know him. So if we are to follow Jesus, our hearts must love those that he loves, those that do not yet know him. And this is a challenge because what happens also oftentimes in the church is as we um, become more and more acquainted with spiritual things, our relationships come deeper within the church, we have a tendency to lose our relationships with those who do not yet know him. And yet, look at the very thing that defined and described Jesus here in Matthew chapter 9. The religious leaders around him looked at him and asked the disciples, why is it that Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners? Why is it that he feels so at home with them and more importantly, that they feel so at home with him? It didn't look very religious. And it was unsettling to the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, because they were so focused in come out from among them and be separate that they fought, they forgot that the only way for others to hear the good news was for us to know them. But you see, with Jesus, there's not a competition between being holy and being loving. For us, that tends to be a challenge. It's a struggle. If we look at it as a balanced scale, we have a tendency to err on one side or the other, and yet Jesus lives it in perfect balance and perfect harmony and calls us to follow his example. It's interesting to me how much sinners, non-religious people, quote-unquote, are attracted to Jesus. And when I contrast that with myself, maybe if I can challenge you to contrast that with you, are the people of the world attracted to you? More importantly, are they attracted to Jesus in you? Do they see his life, his authenticity in your heart and in mine? If we're to follow him, this has to become a central point of who we are. Now, now why is it that sinners, starting with, with me, and this is where we need to go back to, we need to look at the same question. Why is it that I was attracted to Jesus? Why is it that you were attracted to Jesus? Why is it that people who would maybe never walk into the doors of a church are somehow attracted to Jesus? Well, I believe first and foremost, it is because Jesus created a sense of belonging that drew people to him. When you are with Jesus, time slows. Now, I don't want you to hold on to that for a moment because I don't mean how it is like when you're with Drew and the sermon drags. It's not the same thing, okay? When you're with Jesus, time slows down because it becomes so full. Jesus has a way, even though we cannot physically see him with our eyes, of making eye contact with our very soul because he knows everything about us and cares about us and loves us intently. 
Jesus stood as a contrast to so many of the religious leaders of his day and so often, unfortunately, to the religious leaders of our own day. He was authentically interested in others and he was able to foster a sense, an attraction of belonging. And that's where I want to focus today because this attraction of belonging and this power of belonging is incredibly important because Jesus was always able to communicate that people had incredible worth because of who they are to God, not just what they do. And that's something that we need to grab a hold of. The true worth in an individual is who they are to God, made in his image. Every person, no matter how um, far away from God they may seem to be, has incredible value. Belong is a great word. It's a great word because it has so many layers of meaning to it. It can mean to be in the right place, in the right relationship, where you feel comfortable and at home. All of us have a desire to to belong. We have built within us. But then there's another dynamic of belonging that refers to ownership. And for us, as followers of Jesus Christ, both have to be true. We need to feel at home in his presence and then recognize that he has complete ownership over our life that should radically change who we are, and how we live. The belonging is our security and our confidence. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price, the price of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and we are to glorify God with all that we are. The way that we live our life, our relationships, our obedience, all are to reflect that we belong to him. But it also is our security. The song that we sang just a few moments ago, which um, has echoes that come out of Romans chapter 8 and also 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, where it says, greater is he who is within you than he is within the world, is our security. It's our confidence that we have. And because we belong to Jesus, we have nothing to fear. We are convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus, according to Romans chapter 8. That's our confidence. <coughs> Excuse me. But Jesus was able to not only give that confidence to those who believed in him already, he was able to communicate a sense of belonging and worth to those who did not yet know him. And here's the truth. Oftentimes, people need to begin in their spiritual relationship or their spiritual journey with a sense of belonging before they come to the point of actually believing in Jesus Christ. Excuse me, just one moment. Otherwise, you're all going to be sorry. I've committed to try to quit smoking this week. Okay. All right. Just being over the flu. How about that? If we're going to be like Jesus, then our lives have to be inviting. They have to communicate a sense of worth and value and belonging to others even before they begin to ask spiritual questions. We need to present the same kind of inviting atmosphere and heart that Jesus does. And the reason that this is so important is because it speaks to the deepest need that you and I have as humans. We have lots of physical needs for, for shelter, for, um, 
for security, for food, um, for air, those kind of things. But our greatest psychological or emotional need is a sense of belonging. In fact, psychologists, let me read you from Psychology Today. It says, says this, a sense of belonging is a human need, just like the need for shelter and food. Feeling that you belong is most important in seeing value in your life and in coping with intensely painful emotions. In other words, in order to make it through life's journey, you need a sense of belonging. Now, psychologists only know the surface because what that really speaks to is a much deeper spiritual need. Because there's three aspects to to belonging. First of all, it's having value and purpose. We all have a deep desire for meaning to have our life be more than just the existence that we go through day after day. To have something that is more lasting. Secondly, being known for who we really are. We have a deep need for security that we will not be abandoned. And thirdly, We have a deep need in in the sense of belonging for being loved unconditionally. We have an overwhelming need for relationship, especially a relationship with God. And what we discover is that all three of these things are found in Jesus Christ. He is the answer to our belonging. And, And the power of belonging means this, that Jesus is the one who gives us purpose Jesus truly is the one who knows us fully, and Jesus is the one who loves us unconditionally. He is the one that touches each aspect of our life because each of these speak to the spiritual need within you and I. Because you see, we have those needs because sin has separated us from the life that we were created to have and share with God. We have a need for meaning because we're separated from the one who loves us and created us in his image by our sin. We have a need for security because we live under a death sentence that has pronounced its punishment upon our lives. The wages of sin is death, is what Romans chapter 3 tells us. We live in constant fear of death because we've been separated from God by sin. And thirdly, we have need of relationship because our sin separates us from the one who loves us most. Or as Blaise Pascal uh, put it, there is deep within us a God-shaped hole that nothing else can fill. Only God himself. And every human, whether they recognize it or not, they are driven by this need for belonging that ultimately can only be met in Jesus Christ. Well, here's the great thing is God has called you and I as his followers to communicate the good news that the sense of belonging, your need for, to belong has been met and invite them to discover that God loves them, knows them, and can give them purpose and meaning in all that they do. Now, to, to illustrate this, I want to go back to where we were a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 4. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to that. We're not going to take the time to read the whole passage because we did that a couple of weeks ago, but this is the story of the woman at the well and Jesus' encounter with her. But to better set the stage so that you you can look at this passage perhaps from her viewpoint, I'm going to play for you a little video clip uh, of a great poem that that really is talking about this passage from her vantage point. 
And, and so as you see this, remember, this is maybe, uh, it's an artistic interpretation, but it's a beautiful one of what she discovers, her sense of belonging that is met in her encounter with Jesus Christ. Let's play the clip. I am a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I am a woman of no reputation, save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cast judgmental glances, though you don't really take the time to look at me or even get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and otherwise what's the point in doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look at my face and not just see two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears, but to see all that I am and could be, all my hopes, loves, and fears. That's too much to hope for, to wish for, or pray for, so I don't, not anymore. Now I keep to myself, and by that I mean the pain that keeps me in my own private jail, the pain that's brought me here at midday to this well. To ask for a drink is no big request, but to ask it of me, a woman unclean, ashamed, used and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner. No drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I'm sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance, a man with little reputation, at least so far. You whisper and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about, and you take the time to really look at me, but don't need to get to know me for to be known is to be loved and to be loved is to be known and you know me you actually know me all of me and everything about me every thought inside and hair on top of my head every hurt stored up every hope every dread my past and my future all I am and could be you tell me everything you tell me about me And that which is spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation. Coming from you brings love, grace, mercy, hope, and salvation. I've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me. And here in my presence, you say, I am he. To be known is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. Let me run back to town. This is way too much for just me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good and the bad, sinners and saints, who should hear what you've told me, who should see what you've shown me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. And they all need this too. We all do need it for our own. Be powerful, huh? You see, it speaks to the deep need of who she is. The way she put it in the scripture is this. She said this in in verse 29 of John chapter 4. This is what she told to her village when she went back to tell them about Jesus. She said, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? You see, Jesus had communicated so authentically with her heart that she was drawn to his presence, so much so that it overflowed that the one thing she had to do was tell others about Jesus, the Jesus who knew her, knew everything about her, and loved her, knew all of her faults, all of her failures, all of her sin, all of her bad reputation, And loved her anyway. You see, that is the message that we have to share with others. That is the message that Jesus is speaking to you right now. He knows you and he loves you. He speaks to your sense a need for belonging. And he is calling you to himself. To come and drink of who he is. To know him.
Jesus communicated with their deep sense of need. And I want to encourage you to read, read um, John chapter 4 afresh with those eyes this week. See how Jesus cared for her because this is how Jesus cares for you and I. He communicated that God knew everything about her and that he loved her. He communicated that God was seeking her. Remember when he said, God is seeking those who will worship me in spirit and in truth? That is not just a definition of worship. That was a personal invitation to a woman who felt ostracized by everything that the religious world offered. And Jesus is saying to her, God is seeking you as a true worshiper. The God of the universe who is perfect and holy went to an unworthy woman a sinner just like you and I, and said, I want you to be my follower. I want you to be a worshiper of the God most high. You see, it was the same invitation that he gave to Matthew when he said, follow me. God has places a value on others that we could never see because he loves us so incredibly much. Jesus addressed her need to be known, to be loved, and to have meaning and purpose. And what did she do with her new belonging? She went and shared what Jesus had done for others and done for her with others and brought them to Jesus. Now, I want you to look here at, at John chapter 4, verse 34, because there's an interesting little interlude here where the disciples come in the middle of this encounter, and they're confused because Jesus has been talking to the Samaritan woman who he shouldn't be talking to because they're of, they're of different cultures, they're of different religions. He's a man, she's a woman. Shouldn't have happened, and yet God does it anyway. And, 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 and then they come with a very practical thing, and they say, you know, Jesus, are you hungry? Do you want something to eat? Listen to what Jesus says in, in John four thirty four. Jesus said to them, my food is to, the, to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In other words, what he's saying is the thing that feeds the very soul of who I am is the gospel, is sharing this good news with those who need it. I've come to seek and to save the lost. Now, I have to confess to you, that is not my food, but I want it to be. How about you? Would you say the very food, the very sustenance of your soul is to do the will of the Father? And that will is directly connected to our witness because look at the very next words that Jesus say, says, do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is reaping wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I send you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. What he's saying is, you're going to find the food of your very soul when you engage your life in living as a witness for me in helping others discover that the deepest longing of their heart, their sense and, and desire to belong is found in Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. It's an incredible privilege. Jesus says that the very bread 
that he eats, that sustains him, is to do God's work in seeking the lost. To bring others to Jesus is what we're called to do. And I love how, how this passage ends because just look at verse 39 through 42 for a moment. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. A woman without any training, without any equipping, she just had a personal encounter with Jesus and it transformed her. Um, he told me all that I ever did So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of the word, excuse me, because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. There is no greater joy in your life or my life than to be able to draw people to Jesus Christ. And God has chosen you and I as his church to be his church, to be his presence in the workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, to help others find the belonging that their heart longs for in Jesus Christ. That's our privilege. Now, a couple weeks ago, I passed out these these little Y cards, and there's some more of them on the front table, and there's some here. And the the elements of this little simple description of what the gospel is are included here. And I made it really simple because I want you to get used to it and and understand you can be used by God to share the good news with others. There's an insert in your bulletin that has the elements of that. And we're going to walk through it in just a moment. But there's also some blanks for you to fill out that I want to encourage you to do this. For those of you who are in small groups, I want to encourage you this, this week to take that little insert and just go through it together. Share with, share with one another how you came to Christ, how he changed your sense of belonging. Share with one another what God has done for you because it's great practice for then sharing it with other people that don't know him yet. Begin to tell the story just like the woman at the well did with her community. Share it within our small groups. I encourage you to do this with your families, as couples to do this, or with groups of friends. Begin to share what God has done because it is the greatest news. Your story will, God will use to encourage the hearts and lives of others. And as you begin to share it, even with other believers, he will fill you more with his Holy Spirit and embolden you to share it with those who do not yet know him. Don't be fearful. Let this become the very heartbeat of who we are as a church and as followers of Jesus. Well, let's walk through this for just a moment through the why. I chose why as a little acronym for the gospel because it it points to, to to our deep need. We all have these needs built within us. We want to know why we are here. That's part of our sense of belonging. We want to understand why does evil exist We want to understand why do good things, excuse me, bad things happen to good people. We want to know why do I feel so empty? What's missing? Those why questions find their meaning and find their answer in Jesus Christ. And so this little gospel presentation begins with the W for we. 
We were created in God's image to share his life and to show his greatness. Right there, it speaks to our sense and our desire for belonging. The the purpose of our life is connected to the fact that we are created in God's image. Our life has purpose and in meaning. And we're never going to find it apart from God. And we were created to share his life. That means we need a life source. We need to be connected to the one who knows us. And we need to be connected to the one who loves us. And also, our life purpose is to show his greatness, to show who God is to those around us. And so we begin there, but there's a problem that we've all experienced. Our selfishness and sin forfeited that purpose. It broke us, separating us from God and brought death. And the scriptures were told We're created in God's image. He knows who we are. He knows who we're designed to be. He knows us fully, not just what you have done, but who you were meant to be, fully known. And that's why Jesus was so inviting to those who did not yet know him. It's because reflected in his eyes was their worth, their value. Created to share his relationship And the good news is God will meet you right where you are, but remember, if you call on him, he will not leave you there. He will change us. So our sin has created our need. Our problem is that we have fallen short of the glory of God, according to Romans 3, verse 23, and that the wages of sin are death, Romans 6, 23. And all that we try to do on our own, no matter how hard we seek to find belonging in and of ourselves and in this world, we cannot find it because nothing can bridge that gap on our own. It is only when we come to Christ that we find the answers to why and our true sense of belonging. But the great news is, is we were created with a purpose and we blew it, but God didn't leave us there. That brings us to the he. He chose to offer his life to us through Jesus' sacrificial death and resurrection, offering us forgiveness of sin and abundant life both now and forevermore. (coughs) Excuse me. God himself had to pay the price for our redemption. And even in the message to the woman at the well, Jesus keeps pointing her to himself. I am he. When she says, I know the Messiah will come, I am he. I am the one that can give you living water that you will never thirst again deep in the heart of your soul when you drink of me. That promise is reflected in communion that we're going to celebrate in just a few moments. That Jesus satisfies the deep, deep need of our souls. He poured out his life. His blood was shed. Represented in the cup, his body was given, represented in the bread, given to us to bring us to him so we could belong to him forever. And that brings us to a choice that you and I can choose life over death by turning from our sin and trusting Jesus as your savior and confessing him as the source and Lord of your life. That's the gospel. It's not complicated It's simply all about Jesus Christ and what he has done. 
He can meet your need. And he can use you to help others come to know him and find the greatest treasure they could ever imagine in him. Well, that's the gospel. Now, how do we really quickly foster a sense of belonging like Jesus does? Jesus, obviously, he's the master at this. But how do we become like him in, in, in offering this sense of belonging, a welcoming to others that do not yet know him? It begins, number one, with prayer. A prayer and dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We have to pray that God will use us and then expect him to use us. And we need to begin praying for those around us because God will place people in our path that he wants to use you and I to share the good news with. Secondly, our character. Our character has to be authentic. If we do not live what we say we believe, we will never attract people to Jesus. People were drawn to Jesus because he was authentic. There was absolutely no hypocrisy in him. And so therefore, we must do the same thing. We must ask the Lord to examine our heart and life. Just like when we come to communion, that's one of the things we should do. Lord, examine my life. See if there's anything where my character does not match who you are. If there's areas of sin in my life, if there's areas of disobedience, Lord, I'm surrendering that to you because I belong to you. You have ownership over my life. Therefore, I'm turning from that today and coming back to you. Help me now to walk in obedience. Our character must reflect what we say we believe. Thirdly, we must keep the mission the main thing. It is so easy for us to get distracted. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 um, through 8 is a powerful reminder of this. I want you to turn there for just a moment. Acts chapter 1, verses, verse 6. This is, this is after Jesus' resurrection and right before his, he's going to ascend into heaven. It says this, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? One of the great temptations for us as followers of Jesus Christ is that we like to focus in on the thing that God is supposed to do rather than the thing he assigned us to do. See, their natural curiosity was, are you going to make societal change now? Are you going to change things? Because this world is not good. The politics of our world are horrible. That's exactly what they're saying to Jesus. Are you going to change that right now? And what does Jesus answer? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He says, don't worry about that part of it. It's not to be the main thing of your, of your, of your life. That's not to be the main focus of the assignment I'm giving you. Here it is. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the end of the earth. If we really want to see transformation happen in our nations and in our world, then we need to make sure that we make the mission the main thing of our lives because that's where transformation will happen because lives will be changed. Fourthly, we need to look for common ground. Jesus was comfortable being with people who did not yet know him because he cared about them and was interested in them. He took time to get to know the woman at the well and we have to do the same thing. 
fifthly is respect. We do not have to agree with another person's worldview or choices, but we are to show respect to them because they are made in the image of God. That value should always be in our vision. And one of the best ways to communicate that value is to make sure that we listen. If you want to be more like Jesus, begin to spend more time listening than you do speaking. Because then the Holy Spirit has opportunity to give you the right words to say when it's time to say them. And that includes us watching our words. We need to think about not only what we say, but how the other person will interpret our words and the conclusions that they will make from them before we make our statements. Choose your words carefully. Conversation. The ministry of conversation is perhaps the most important single way that faith's meaning will be communicated. Ian hit on this last week when he talked about belief from Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How will they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe on him whom they have never heard? If we're not having conversations with people who do not yet know him and making sure that those conversations include spiritual things, well, yeah, we shouldn't expect them to ever come to Christ. But he's chosen you and I to be his instruments. Refrain from judging others based upon your values. Every Christian has an image in their mind of what a Christian should be and how they should live their life. That image is influenced both by good things in the, in the Scripture and the Holy Spirit um, and growth in Christ, but it's also shaped by culture and, and other aspects of it. And we need to allow um, God's Word to speak for itself. Let that be what determines what we understand as our values and what is right and wrong. And then ultimately, we need to have our lives and our witness share the truth of what Jesus offers. We need to recognize that those who do not yet know Jesus Christ are ultimately enemies who are prisoners in in hostile territory. This week, I read the story with the start of the Olympics, and and maybe you saw it, the story uh, uh, that went back and looked at the 19, uh, before the 1988 Olympics, when um, there was the horrible attack on a Korean airliner, and Kim Hon-hee, and I don't know that I pronounced that very well, but hopefully it's semi-close, she was a North Korean agent. Who had, been, who had grown up in North Korea. She had been trained from an early age to become a spy, to become an operative, and she was convinced that everything she heard um, from the leadership of North Korea was absolutely true and that the rest of the world, especially South Korea, was incredibly corrupt. And based upon her belief and her understanding, she and an accomplice went and took and put a bomb on a, an airliner and 115 people were killed. After the bombing, she and her accomplice were captured. Her accomplice, who was an older man, um, bit down on a cyanide capsule in the end of a cigarette. She did as well. He died. She did not. 
And so she was taken in for questioning. And originally, she, in, in the process, she would deny, she would say that she was from Japan and she gave a different identity uh, and she followed the, all of the program that she had been trained to tell. But over time, she began to break down and the reason that she broke down and, and, and eventually confessed absolutely everything was because the leaders did something incredibly important. They did the same thing that you and I are to do spiritually. They took Kim and showed her the truth. They took her for drives around Seoul and around the countryside of South Korea so that she could see the lives of the people, so that the, the lies that she had believed began to break down. And then they began to tell her the truth. And in the process, eventually she came to realize that everything she had believed on her before that was a lie. She confessed everything, didn't hold anything back, was sentenced to death. Deservedly so. And then something unimaginable happened. The president of South Korea pardoned her. Fully guilty. In fact, the headlines of the article today is she wonders 30 years later, can my sins be pardoned? Over the course of time, over those 30 years, she became a follower of Jesus Christ. But you see, her life story is a picture of the gospel. She grew up in a world system that was totally opposed to what she discovered in South Korea. Those who are in the world grow up in a world system that is opposed to God not equating the countries and God. It's just an example. But um, it was a false understanding. And what God calls us to do is to show others the truth, both with the lives that we live, the joy that we have, and the words and truth that we share. That's our assignment. That's how we follow him and help others discover there is pardon for sinners. And there is life and belonging in Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth and its power. And Lord, I, I pray. I pray that you would convict my heart and the hearts of others here. Lord, so that we begin to see that this assignment of going and sharing with others the good news of Jesus Christ is an incredible privilege and it should become the very nourishment of our souls. Lord, would you make that a reality in us as a church? Lord, that we would so begin to love those who do not yet know you. Lord, that we would become creative and intentional about forming relationships and sharing with others the great news of who Jesus is. Lord God, now we come before your table because you are our life supply. You are everything for us, Lord. And so we come and we thank you, Lord Jesus, and remember your sacrifice. We recognize in the cup how your blood was shed, how it was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. It is the new covenant. It is our hope. 
And Lord, we recognize that on the night before you were crucified, you took bread and you blessed it and broke it and gave it to your disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Lord, we come in remembrance of you. But also we come asking as we partake of this food that represents your life, that you would make your mission the very food of our lives. Oh, Lord, would you make that true in us? Would you do that within us today? Well, we pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his honor and glory. Amen. I'm going to invite you to come and partake of the bread, which represents Jesus' body, and of the cup, which represents his blood, which was poured out for the forgiveness of sins of many. These elements are a picture of who Jesus is. And so if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we invite you to come. But we also do it with a word of caution, that you examine your heart and your life. The scripture tells us not to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way because this is a holy moment. This is remembering and recognizing who Jesus is and what he has done. And therefore, we should not do it lightly, but reverently. And for those who do not yet know him, but maybe, maybe today you're ready to call upon his name, what I invite you to do is just come and, and sit next to me down on the front row and, and let's talk about it. Let's pray together, even as communion is being served. The table of the Lord is open. And we invite you to come and partake.